Hello and welcome to the Total Clarity Podcast. I'm Mike Varley. I'm Jesse Hyatt. And this is our 16th walk, the coast of Brooklyn. We have a guest with us today. And before Jesse introduces her, just want to give a little bit of context. There are so many sounds here along the waterfront between the boats, the helicopters. There's even an art installation sound. If you're looking on the video in your left corner, I think, there's a bell. You may see people ringing it. If you're just listening, you may just hear people ringing it. But it's a project called Reverberations. It's pretty cool. I recommend you check it out. But there's going to be a lot of different fun auxiliary noises this episode. And as far as our guest, Jess yeah, is going to so do Yeah, so today we have our friend Nina Bowers on. And Nina is a placemaker. She has been specifically making places along the waterfront of New York City, Brooklyn, for the last few years, but over the last 10 years has been making places and setting spaces and working within many different spaces and places in both New York and LA. And we're gonna to talk to Nina more about these things. Yeah, these happy to be here. Spaces. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't jump in yet. I know you've got more to cover. <laughs> we won't jump right into Nina's stories yet because we want to talk about the distance that we've walked so far. We actually wanted to talk about it last week, full disclosure, and forgot. So. But this is our first time that we're talking about our distance travel with a guest on. So it's nice. That we're going to get a little real-time feedback here. Ooh. Yeah. And I haven't even, uh, I don't even know where we've gone the past five weeks. Jesse did all the research this time. So. I did. So. This is covering weeks 10 through 15. Yes, it's weeks 10 through 15. Or I guess so 11 through 15. My I'm going to pull right? them up. Because we already did weeks 6 through 10. Yeah, yeah, it would actually be 11 through 15. So, are you ready? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so week 11, we walked, by the end of week 11, it was 1,441 miles. And that would have taken us to a place that I've never heard of before, but I really liked the name. It's in Newfoundland? Newfoundland? I think Newfoundland. Newfoundland. Yeah. It's called Happy Valley Goose Bay. Oh, wow. <laughs> So, that sounds cute. like some really great artisanal products would come out of there. Yeah, uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I hope it means that the geese are happy in the valley. I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that's where we could get to by the end of week 11. Yeah. By the end of week 12, we walked 1,572 miles, and that would get us to uh, either... so. This was actually a really tricky one because it put us like in the center of the country where there aren't really any cities or places no or landmarks that I know of or yeah. like with cute names like Happy Valley Goose Bay. Um, so it, I found Garden City, Kansas. Okay. Which do either of you have ever heard of that? No. I'm guessing farmland. Yeah, it seemed like farmland. Uh, but the other thing we could have done is if we were birds, we could have gotten to Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic. Oh. That's about the same distance uh, as the crow flies. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that was... If we could was, walk on water. If we could have walked on water. Right. 
which we can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that was the end of week 12. The, by the end of week 13, spooky, 1,703 miles, we almost would have made it to Austin, Texas, which is 1,742. Mm. There you go. Because that was the closest big city. Yeah, so a three-month walk to Austin, Texas, and then some. Yeah. Yeah. That's not too bad. A whole season's worth, really. A whole season, the entire season of summer. Yeah. To get to Austin, Texas, just as it's getting cool. So then the next week, which is week 14, we walked 1,834 miles, mm -hmm. and that would get us to Lubbock, Texas. Is it Lubbock or Lubbock? Lubbock. 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 It's Lubbock. Lubbock. Isn't that like a insult? Um, like I'm not Lummock. sure what you're thinking Lum of. Maybe I'm thinking of Lummock. A Lummox? I've never Lummox? heard of this. I mean, flummoxed? Flummoxed. flummoxed. But that's like... I'm flummoxed like a, right yeah, now, thinking flummoxed. that Lubbock is an insult. Dullard. I don't think that there's... That's not what I was I thinking. don't know what... Maybe this is just the northerner in me, but I don't know that Lubbock has a good reputation. I don't know that it does. I don't know what its reputation is, but I don't know that it's a very uh, welcoming place. No. Yeah. Do you know you lived in... I did, but I don't recall. I... Yeah. No, ju no, no judgment, Lubbock people that are watching or listening. I mean, I've never been there. Maybe at some point we'll walk around the entire city and yeah, actually get to know it. Probably, what probably would you, not. What do you think you would call maybe. a Lubbock person? I, I mean, it sounds like there's a real great potential there for something, but I don't know where. Where's your first? A Lubicky? Lubicky? Mm, a Lubickian? Nice. My first thought was Lubite. Oh, interesting. A Lubite. That's a good one. Yeah, I would just, I mean, Lubbock. maybe just Lubbock. Lubbock. I'm a Lubbock. Yeah. But that's what I think is the ins. Well. Luddite. Oh, Luddite. Yeah. Luddite. 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 That's Luddite. not what I'm thinking, though. <laughs> I think good. you should Google it. It might be some, oh, yeah. Okay, this isn't an insult, but um, do you know Lummy, the no. leprechaun? No. What? <laughs> <laughs> This, this might just be a oh, Hyatt, everyone knows Lummi. This might just be a Hyatt family thing. I don't I really wasn't sure if it was like a broader thing or not, but it might yeah, just be a Hyatt, like a Hyatt family, family thing. Lummy the leprechaun is the leprechaun that comes to put coins in your shoes on St. Patrick's Day night if you eat your corned beef and cabbage. Wow. Did you guys do that? No. Yeah. You know, no. I, I, I didn't need to be persuaded to eat my corned beef and cabbage. Okay, I did. Yeah. Um, sometimes they were golden pennies. Wow. Oh. So anyway. Lubbock, Texas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so by the end of week 15, we, would, we walked 1,965 miles which would have taken us just past Santa Fe, New Mexico. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That starts miles. to, that's like, I mean, now it starts weeks. feeling like a real distance for some reason. Texas doesn't feel like a real distance to me, but New Mexico does. Oh, I, okay. I don't know why, because I live well, there Well, because you're skipping over, yeah. you basically walked, no, no, New Mexico's next to Texas. I thought Arizona, I got them switched in my mind. Yeah. And they both are, aren't they? Next to Texas? Yeah. I think there's 
Oh, is New Texas, Mexico east of New Arizona? Mexico, Arizona, oh, okay. California. Okay. Because the Grand Canyon is like between. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But still, that is that is a ways. Yeah, and I guess really maybe far. because I have like more associations with Santa Fe. From yeah. Our yeah, it was nice that there. Santa Fe was one that we could pick because we have a bunch of friends from Santa Fe. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's great. Have you? Uh, what was your? personal associations I, I don't you never lived out there right I didn't live there but I I visited a bunch of times and I've just I always enjoy it it's yeah. an enchanting place uh, the architecture is beautiful yeah um, but no I it's funny I guess because there's just a few like we have friends from there but I also have a couple other connections from other uh, friendships or places that are now based in Santa Fe yeah yeah, so between Austin and Santa Fe, we've got a lot of personal connections this past five weeks. Yeah. And now we know if we want to visit the hard way, we can. Yeah. Well, I was really trying to get a Kansas City in there, too. Yeah. We ended up in Garden City, Kansas, but I was hoping for the Kansas City. It would just, it, did it just fall in the middle, I guess, of one of yeah, them? Yeah, it was just it was, not. It's Kansas City, Kansas, not Kansas City, Missouri. That's the Kansas City... Missouri is the one that we also have connections to. Kansas City, Kansas is on the other side of the it's borderline. That I don't know what's going on there. I don't. I just don't know. Yeah. 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 It is confusing. It's confusing that you would have two cities called Kansas City right next to each other in two different states, yeah. and that the one in Missouri, not the one in Kansas, would be the one that we are associated with. But. Yeah. Anyway, that's our mileage report. That's it. Very cool. Yeah, and uh, kind of the takeaway here is now, as we're recording this, we've eclipsed 2,000 miles. It was 1965 yeah. at the end of week 15, and now we're at week 16. So that's true. We're really uh, we're really ground. racking them up. Yeah. 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 Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about this week's walk. Yeah, let's talk about this week. Um, so this week we've been walking along the coast of Brooklyn from, depending on which direction we're going, we're either walking up from Coney Island or down from Greenpoint. And I think we should start from north to south because I feel like that's the areas that we are all more familiar with already, but then for us at least, we're learning more about the southern part, and Nina, you might know about that area already anyway, but. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting. I won't go too much into the southern part, but it does feel like a more linear path. Once you get down to Shore Parkway, it's like a straight shot-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of the northern part is like weaving through neighborhoods and a little bit more um, kind of navigating those this northern half yeah. of the borough. Um, yeah, starting in Greenpoint, it's like, a, did you, where, what's the, like, tip-off point? What's your... So on this, on the route for us, we actually walk from our house out to Greenpoint. So we live in Bushwick, so we walk, like, out Central Ave, and then over up to McGorlick Park, and then north a little bit to get onto the coast. Okay. So where we're actually like linking up with the coast? Transmitter Park. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So really up at the top corner there. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then 
uh, the big reason why we had you on is because of the Greenway. I don't think I mentioned that in the intro, but the Greenway runs sort of right along the coast as well. But do you want to tell us yeah. what the Greenway is? Yeah, totally. So for the past uh, year and a half, I've been working for the Brooklyn Greenway Initiative, uh, which was the organization that over 15 years ago, 16 years ago, was founded with the intention of building out a completely connected Brooklyn waterfront greenway. Uh, so there was specific areas that were kind of being considered for development back when the organization was starting that different neighborhoods and community groups banded together and kind of said, you know, we, we don't want to make this more parking or another, you know, three-lane highway, but uh, a walkway. We want there to be access. We want people to be able to enjoy this waterfront space. Um, so that, you know, that was about the same time that Brooklyn Bridge Park was also coming up, um, which was another organization I worked for before this one. Um, and both of those initiatives combined with the right uh, politicians and the right kind of grease on those wheels um, created this beautiful waterfront um, park pathway that's that's kind of developed over time and Bloomberg rezoned the area so that uh, more parks and spaces were kind of encouraged to come up from that so that's kind of the um, context I think of how the waterfront in Brooklyn particularly has has come to be in this iteration that it has now. It was a lot of, you know, before then it was a big shipping and manufacturing hub, mm -hmm. as much of the city was, uh, and being so close to the river and so easily accessible from Manhattan, that was that was kind of the main draw for folks. But as, as the borough has changed, so have its needs. And park space is pretty crucial part of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, Greenpoint has some great spaces. Uh, transmitter is really cool. There's uh, Greenpoint Landing, which I don't know if you guys have been by. It's like, you know the outpost of Brooklyn Ice Cream Factory? That's up there. It's uh -huh. like around the corner from Okay. There. Oh, yeah. I think we did walk on there the other day. Yeah. You can also see the, like, across the way, Hunter's Point in Queens. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. You can like see that park from, from there, so. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing how many different little extra spaces there are along the way. Totally. I mean, we're, we're mostly taking advantage of the walking paths and we're kind of moving through and occasionally stopping in one to eat a sandwich or yeah. take a break or do a stretch or, or just to see it. But there's more little park spaces than like we can even get yeah. to in a week yeah there's a lot to i mean it, it's a good it's a great thing but it's also a little i think a, a frustration to me that they're not all connected or that mm. they aren't all things that you can like walk through to the next one but i guess that's what makes them each so distinct and unique is that they kind of have only one access point and the community and the circumstance of the, the view or whatever else is going on over there can change it. So, uh, you know, for example, up in Transmitter or at 
Greenpoint Landing, the view of Manhattan is like midtown, whereas we're viewing downtown right. from right. here. Uh, and that, that changes it in the Greenpoint community, like the influence of the Polish neighborhood folks and the, the new kind of developments there have also really shifted, I think, the way that park, those parks kind of operate and who they're serving, you know. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, and then the parks along Kent and Williamsburg, like between Domino and then I guess Brooklyn Inlet Park, but also they just renamed it Marsha P. Johnson. Marsha P. Johnson, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the state parks have made a, I don't know who instigated this initiative, but uh, renaming or trying to name the state parks after influential uh, people of color, which is really awesome. Yeah. Um, Has that just been over the last couple months while it's while there have been so many Black Lives Matter protests or was that something that was happening? I think it might have been in process. I know, I mean, Shirley Chisholm, which is at the bottom of Brooklyn, um, was already named Shirley Chisholm before this, but it was also, it's a brand new park. It just opened the past year. Okay. So it might also be the kind of thing like that one opened and then they were like, well, why don't we do the same thing with uh, Bushwick Inlet, you know, like it's already, nobody knows or it's good to distinguish it more uh, explicitly, giving that kind of name to it as opposed to Bushwick Inlet, which just sounds kind of like a random location, you know. Right, Um, right. I guess it's nice too because it gives people, if they don't know already who these people are, then it gives them a chance to kind of research and and find out. And if they do know who that person is, then yeah, they just feel nice that they have a park named after them. Yeah, right. And there are so many parks named after so many people all over the country. Um, not enough for activists and folks that were not necessarily park people or politicians. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, so this, it's a different I met thing. Chuck Schumer in that park. Oh, yeah. yeah. You did? Yeah, I was walking around just a random weekend day, and there were these magazines that were being given out somewhere else in Williamsburg, and they had these cutouts of hmm. Marlon Brando's face in the magazine. It was like uh, a newsprint cutout. Uh-huh. And I cut it out, and then I was wearing it around the park, and then I ran into Chuck Schumer, and I was like, can I take a, a picture with you? And he was like, sure. And then, which, honestly, I don't think he would do it now. His social media was not you as, like, so? meaning, I, I just, well, he was he like, was who are you supposed a, to be? A newer, when, how, how many years ago this was This is it? 2011, something yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's risen up in rank yeah. since then. Yeah, so it's also he was like, already a senator by then, right? Yeah. But he wasn't. Yeah, now he's like big time. He wasn't the minority big speaker boy. of the house or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and whatever so he was like... Uh, I think you're right. I think yeah, that's, what, that's it what it is. Yeah. He was like, who are you supposed to be? And I was like, Marlon Brando. And he was like, you're a little thin for Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, I got the picture. And uh, periodically I make it my Facebook profile picture. I've seen that nice. picture yeah. now that you're telling the story. I remember yeah. seeing that photo and it's funny. You guys know, I assume you know, since you're walking through Red Hook, that On the Waterfront was based in Red Hook. Uh, oh, the I movie with I, Marlon I Brando? That. That yeah. Sense, yeah. yeah. I watched yeah. that just a couple years somebody. ago. Could have yeah. been a contender. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's all. That's all here, which is like a really feels so far away from like our reference points of Red Hook or yeah. like yeah. being here now and being like, oh, that's that story is supposed to be about. I I can't relate to the like greedy working class Marlon Brando that would have lived in Red Hook. I don't know them yeah. personally. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it's a cool idea. Yeah. To think about. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I do think that Red Hook still has a little bit of that. Totally. Like, there's still people that fish. There's still, like, a lot of boat culture. Yeah, definitely. But the boat culture is, like, it's some industry, but it's also just, like, people that ride boats or, like, live on a boat or kind of go to Burning Man on their boat or something, like... Right. (laughs) Go to Burning Man on their boat. Yeah. It's always this kind of, like... That's a Hollywood glamorized version of Red Hook from that era. Right. That we then have to like retranspose to now that some people probably are living out that fantasy, but other people are probably totally ignorant of it. Right. Yeah. There's that, what's the other uh, section? I think it's Red Hook, but also where we walk through that kind of like Main Streety. You know, where the, where the, we talked about it one of our first podcasts, because one of the actually noteworthy things about this walk is that the first half to maybe even two thirds of it is a replay of our week one walk, which is Uh, First Impressions North Brooklyn. You're talking about Columbia Street Waterfront. Columbia Street Waterfront, yeah, yeah, which is not, it's like Red Hook adjacent, right? But what's, I don't know. Right, it's like, uh, is it like Gardens, Cobble Hill? Yeah. border but it's really a no man's land between Brooklyn Bridge Park Brooklyn Heights and no not Brooklyn Heights no yeah Brooklyn Heights and uh, Red Hook yeah Yeah. it's it's kind of a gray area but what I was gonna say is there's something about that area and Red Hook as well to an extent that actually kind of has more of a New England maritime vibe to Mm. me that like or maybe even like South Street seaporty a little bit sure that is yeah, yeah, over in Manhattan. <laughs> that is, uh, yeah, unique to Brooklyn, at least presently. I can't think of any analogies to that anywhere else along the coast. To the way that it feels down it, there? Yeah, yeah. Like there was, I guess, I mean, I'm sure it felt very gritty at some point too. Mm. And then it got rehabbed and like basically when they burnished it up, that was what was left, you know, was this right. kind of... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it yeah. reminds it's me like of... A, it's industrial well, shipping, but then now the shipping has fallen apart, kind of, so it's not as active. It's kind of like skeleton of what it was. Yeah. yeah. And there's also, like, lobster houses and, you know, oh, yeah. pla- like, like places to... Oh, yeah. Maybe that. Pound. I mean, that, that is what I think of when I think of New England waterfront. Well, but... and then particularly that Columbia Street area, I... You know, I doubt that this is the architecture style, but it's like kind of like federalist, kind of like these stout brick houses. You know, something about that reminds me like more of a Rhode Island vibe. Right. I will say uh, the offices of Brooklyn Greenway are on Columbia Street. Yeah. Oh. Um, That area, the stretch along the waterfront specifically, there's like a beer distributor that's on the corner uh, by between Brooklyn Bridge Park and then Columbia Street, but uh-huh. after that is all Port Authority buildings. Oh, so, okay. Uh, port Authority, or it's like, I don't really know what to make of the Port, the port Authority agency, 
Uh, it's a it's a different specific thing. It, it's kind of more. It it kind of goes in between New New Jersey and New York. Like mm-hmm. it kind of crosses the that those state lines. Um, but that I guess might be why structurally. I think it was built kind of like seventies eighties mm. into that. So maybe that. That's my estimation of timeline. So maybe it's the architecture from that time frame hmm. as well. Mm, that gives you those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. It's always the the something about the waterfront is just that it's always shifting. You know, it's always a constantly kind of evolving space, uh, which is special, but also like makes it kind of hard to pin down mm. and complicated to like really um, set in stone or make like established landscape for. Uh, right. BDP is also like this, this park space has evolved a lot over the past 10 years, but it's also the kind of thing due to climate change, due to industrialization, like who knows how much of it's gonna stay the same in another right. 10 years like it might it might be around and it might stay similar but I'm I'm also fully anticipating at least some of it just like becoming it totally repurposed in another way that we don't know yet right know, which is cool was that ever something that you took into consideration or that the organizations you worked with took into consideration like uh, creating like flood barriers or anything like that when you were doing the greenway or the park? Yeah, I mean, I I, um, I was mostly dealing in operations with mm-hmm. BBP, so I was kind of the contact for staff and making sure that everybody had what they needed to do their jobs across all departments. But uh, the, there is like a capital projects team that was building actively, you know, managing construction projects within Brooklyn Bridge Park that I would work with to know when there was when there was load in and load out needed for that or when the construction work of a certain area would be done which would affect the staff like in terms of where they could be working Mm. or if we needed signage or how we wanted to redirect people uh, away from that space um, and how long how long that was going to be in effect Um, and yeah I think that's a perpetual priority for for the park. Um, I can I can share two specific projects. One I know is that uh, there's certain areas actually over here. Um, we'll pass it. There's these you know jagged rocks which mm-hmm. are also known as riprap, uh, which is supposed to be kind of a flood barrier. Oh. Dis- for waves if they crash up or it gets the water levels get higher to kind of like absorb some of that water provide a subtle barrier okay and there's a certain area between pier four and five or there is no pier four but uh there's a certain space where there's riprap that like is supposed to do deal with tidal flooding and go underneath this walkway and then it'll go back out uh, for storms so that's a that's one consideration architecturally and developing landscape wise Uh, and then another one is that all of these piers were built on before they were also part of the port authority uh, complex Mm. and 
when the piers were originally constructed, they were on wooden piles. The wooden piles obviously cannot sustain themselves forever. So there's a huge underground or underwater multi-million dollar project happening currently for all of the piers to essentially replace these piles wow. with more, uh, more strong, sustainable, like cement pillars oh, or like wow. fill them in and wrap them in a way that they won't rot out and fall because yeah, if you build a park on, on top of pillars, wood pillars, you want to make sure that they stick around. Yeah. Um, so that's, it's kind of a crazy project. I, we might pass some divers or like barge where you'll see the construction. It's very gray because you might have passed it I did in the notice past. that yeah. this week. I had no idea what was going on. Yeah, nobody oh, does. Yeah. It's one of those like funny kind of like, it's not a secret because like, it's a public, right. <laughs> it's a public initiative and it's city funded, but like, it's also the kind of thing that's uh, not really obvious to anyone looking yeah. at it because why would you know what's going on? Yeah. Right. Uh, so I almost wonder why, I mean, I wonder if it would be beneficial like politically to let people know that that's happening or if it would not be, you know, it's like on one hand it's saying, Hey, we're doing something to protect the infrastructure of these public spaces so that everyone that lives here can use them forever or whatever, you know, as long as In perpetuity, humans yeah. are whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a good thing for like climate change. We're recognizing it and we want to make sure our city is safe. But then on the other hand, it's like, how much money is it? Like, I don't know if people would then start to that's true dive of, in. Like, a Maybe lot they of just want to do it. Yeah. yeah, there's that's true of a lot of initiatives at BBP and in general. I mean, Conversely, like I don't, I don't know the exact numbers and comparisons, but like building out the greenway, mm -hmm. even in a temporary format, and connecting all of the pathways. Yeah. Comparative, like that capital would probably be a drop in the bucket to finish the full connection of the Brooklyn Waterfront Greenway. Okay. And it's yeah. a hard thing to appreciate conserving something that's already been built mm -hmm. versus building something new you know right. people people don't always respond to like oh we're just like cleaning up the work we should have done maybe before we built the park in the first place you know right yeah. but it's a it's a chicken or the egg like people wouldn't have appreciated this park wouldn't have been able to access it if they spent the first five years just reinforcing the pillars right you know? yes. um yeah right right because then it would be the opposite where people would be like, I thought this park was going to be like, it took them forever to build this park. Yeah. Right. And a lot of, I mean, this park is, uh, I, I think they've done a really good job and I think they make a very strong point of making it as, uh, inclusive and accessible to as many people from throughout the borough as possible. Yeah. But I know it's also like a perpetual struggle between the, the neighborhood of Brooklyn Heights and Dumbo where it's based and where like, most of the population experiences it and then the tourism you know there's there's a lot of competing audiences in public space that mm. you, you can't make everybody happy but you try to do your best or you try to try to do what you think is the most right uh or most just way of making it accessible yeah yeah 
So is, would you know offhand, I don't know, like this particular area where we're sitting, how long ago did this come online? I think this space, I want to say this is 10 years old. I think originally the earlier part of BBP was on the other side of the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. Um, and that was maybe 2005, 2006 that the first pieces were being oh. built. Um, this whole area was actually a landfill. Yeah. Uh, this pier in specific, because it's much wider than the piers beyond it. Mm. Um, so it, I think this is all really a landfill, Pier 1. Uh, it was also, like, on the other, there's, there were like a few different park spaces. There was the Dumbo Playground and Park there, but then there was also Empire Fulton State Park, which was a state park. Okay. And it got absorbed into BBP and like traded off. So there's different jurisdictions that right. kind of came together and like made this collective land one coherent space that it wasn't necessarily to begin with. So but B Pier 1 is a former landfill that much I know uh, and I believe it's 10 years old this year so yeah because I, I mean I've been here in the city more or less for like 11 12 years something like that 2008 or thereabouts and you know I, I just started, I have most of that beginning time I had a car and I just always remember driving along the BQE yeah. uh, and just seeing construction always here and being like, yeah. well, that's going to be something someday, yeah. you know? And then it, it, I never really, at least in my world, it was never like a fanfare of like, oh, something's open. It was just all of a sudden it was like, oh, it's like this thing just appeared. But it didn't really just, it just appeared in my world. Yeah. It had been worked on intensely for a long period of time. Yeah. I do remember, I think we were even talking about it on the way down here, uh, but I do remember like when we lived over there, like in one of those buildings yeah. right there uh, in 2009 mm. into 2010, I think was when I really understood that something was happening here. And I remember walking across the bridge to check out Brooklyn Bridge Park for the first time. Yeah. And that was when it was only like a little chunk right near the bridge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also then living in Gowanus and riding on the BQE a lot and I guess yeah because it was under construction like it just kept expanding and expanding and I didn't even realize how big it had gotten until we started walking through it you know you when you were working here you would reference Brooklyn Bridge Park all the time and I knew it as like what I had in my memory from like whatever 2009 to 2012 ish yeah and now I actually understand what it is that you've been you were talking about that whole time <laughs> yeah it's also strange because like it's uh, all of this my experience with the with the Greenway and with BBP is that you know they're linear ish spaces mm -hmm. right like the this park is made up of piers it's not like Prospect Park or Central Park that's like uh chunk of land in the center right with stuff around it mm -hmm. it's like this is the edge that it's walking and in a certain way it's because you can wrap around it and there's no like real boundary except the boundary is the water but right. like there's this way that the 
it becomes more expansive than you know because right. you have this view or because the water is like one half of it that you experience it differently um, than I think I, w I have, at least with Prospect Park or Central Park. You know, you, you walk through those spaces and on either side you're like, okay, now we're not in the park. Right. Whereas Brooklyn Bridge Park kind of like you dip in and out of it and you might not even realize that you're in it until you're out on the water and you're like, oh, now we're really in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, especially like if you go to one of those restaurants down at the southern end there. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like if some, I, and I have gone to that Fornino a couple times and whenever I'm invited to go there, I kind of, I mean, now I've been there a couple times and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that nice restaurant in the park. Right. But I think the first time Doesn't I got to the, the park or to the restaurant, and was like, am I in the park? Am I not in the park? I don't know. It's really nice. Right. And well, it is. It's cool. Yeah, and some of it is also like, because this park and its model is very unique, I don't know if like you guys have, or if I've explained it or if I should re-explain it, but uh, some of the buildings in the park are technically part of the park. Mm, so mm -hmm. one hotel, um, Pier House, these are residencies that part of their part of their construction and part of the property tax contributes to the park. Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah, it's awesome. And I mean, obviously, for the people that live there, it's an amenity to mm -hmm. them. But it's also this kind of strange dynamic because it's like to some people, this is their backyard. You know, right? Um, so it changes their relationship to the space uh, for better and for worse, depending on depending on the circumstance. Yeah. Um, and that's that's true, like, for Nino, but also the development around there that just mm. finished. There's these big new high-rise buildings um, that took years to build, and that mm -hmm. was, like, partially a development of Brooklyn Bridge Park. Like, they were involved in the planning and execution of those buildings. So there's a diversity in it, because it's not just, like, landscape architecture. I'm, yeah. We're not... It's not like Brooklyn Bridge Park like designed the buildings, but right. there were certain elements of consideration being adjacent to the park space and being a part of the park landscape. Yeah, and that's so interesting coming from the walk we did last week with Olmsted and Vox, and Olmsted mm -hmm. being uh, very strictly a public space for, you know, and like mm -hmm. no investment otherwise, and, and that being a concept that endured for such a long time, and and still endures as the, I guess, the principal version. But yeah, thinking about investments in a, in a passive way as a way to sustain a park is interesting as well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, in terms of access and upkeep, it's like, it's, I mean, obviously you want the public to appreciate and enjoy the space and it makes it much more rewarding I think like who who wants to go to a park where no one can only like certain people can go to that feels really horrible. Yeah, of yeah. course not. But for the like the amount of landscaping, the amount of cleanup and maintenance, it's not a sustainable model to make it exclusively public, especially mm. if people if the taxes don't really reflect that. Like, yeah. you know, depending on the city budget and the priorities of that, um, this kind of insulates at least BBP from some of the economic instability of the time, you know, yeah. which is and, 
Yeah, yeah. And, and somewhere like, I mean, I'm not as familiar with Prospect Park, but with Central Park, you know, that's getting a lot of private donations in order to run as well. And so this right. idea that it's somehow exclusively uh, a public enterprise is not entirely accurate, you know? Right. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it's always a dynamic, I think. Like, the conservancies that are associated with both Prospect and Central Park are a huge, a huge benefit to their, to their spaces. Yeah. Uh, an area that I don't know if there's a conservancy or probably not, but the, the lower third of our walk, which you, you may know the name and it, it doesn't, it, I don't know, it, but the, the area around the Bell Parkway, essentially. Shore Parkway. Shore Parkway. Mm, Shore Parkway Greenway. From starting on this walk, we pick it up right at Owl's Head Park. Mm -hmm. And then we walk all the way down to, I think there's like a tennis court complex that might be Bay Ridge or Coney Island. It's right on the border. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That area there, I, we've had exceptionally good weather this whole week. And on the left side, you're, if you're, well, on one side, depending on which direction you're walking it, there's the Bell Parkway, cars going. Yeah. And then on the other side is the upper bay of, of Brooklyn. And each day I've been there, and particularly yesterday, I would say, I've really been struck with the naturalness of it in a way that was like uh, kind of emotional yesterday. Mm. And in a way that it's also, it. I don't know if it's despite the traffic, the cars on one side, or because of the traffic, because mm. there's no buildings around. So it's just kind of like a white noise situation, but there's mm -hmm. no commerce or anything going on. Yeah. But looking out at the water and with it being sunny pretty much every day and also pretty windy this week. Yeah. Uh, and the, the chop of the sea going. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the, the massive freight boats coming in, you know, it really just, brought me to a place where I could imagine being like a sailor or just just like it really strips away the city in a way and brings you back to just the naturalness of that space where there's many different islands that you can see at one time mm. and this sp span of sea that's not like oceanic but like very large and mm -hmm. and yeah it was it it really felt like a special area that you might not necessarily have an understanding of unless you're living there, you know? Yeah, I do. I feel like it's because it's uh, between a highway and a waterway and there's no developments like buildings or like residencies on the pathway. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like explicit in what it's used for yeah. access wise, like this up here, the greenway, like you're going between places. It's a mode of transportation. It's also a mode of exercise and you're accessing different points along the way. And you can access different park spaces on Shore Parkway, but they're really just recreational or just athletic. Like it's not, it's not the kind of space where you're like going to meet up with a friend in the middle of it. Right. Yeah. You can't, you can't do that so well. Oh, crying baby. Um, anyone hears that just no <laughs> <laughs> we didn't do that yeah 
but uh, anyway, that I think that I don't know that there is a specific community group there. There, I will say that it on the other side of the highway, there's yeah. a military base. Uh, yeah. Oh, the, oh, is that Fort, Fort Hamilton? Hamilton? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a big piece of yeah. it. Um, and with the military base, I think there's also like a hospital and there's a golf course. There's also like neighborhoods and residences, but I think that that's part of what also makes it even more secluded. Right. In that those spaces are not like necessarily uh, connected or like using the greenway in a in a way that's like public facing and conservative conservationally minded. Right. Right. Uh, but it's a it is also the fact that it's so again, I don't know if linear is the right word, but that it's like you're walking directionally one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I think uh, definitely has some form of nature to it. It's like on either side of you you're seeing like a waterway of transportation, mm -hmm. a driving transportation and then your foot or bike transportation yeah uh, and something about that makes it I don't know and I've certainly driven the Belt Parkway a number of times oh, yeah. but I don't think that either I'm in traffic and I'm mad that I'm in traffic or I'm just going to wherever I'm going you know it, I do think it's fast you can't take yeah. a minute to look over yeah. and like oh look at that beautiful view it's not yeah a, yeah I have always noticed people fishing there though I think because I've also driven there mostly and I'll see people fishing and I think like how did they get there like that's always what I think when I see them is like because there's no crosses and I guess I mean we've seen people now I mean we've gotten there we've walked yeah. there we've seen people biking we've seen the fishermen have their there's like, like a, bikes with there's the like little lock on turnoffs Oh, there I are a few. You've passed every right? every you know, three like, quarters of a mile to a mile. There's an overpass over right. the, so you can get on that way. Yeah. Or there's I I just meant like there's like a turnoff that's like a oh, small oh, strip right. of parking yeah, no, spots. You're, you're correct. There's but there's oh, two of right. those I think. There's a couple of those. Yeah. I mean yeah. it's not much, and yeah. it's odd that that's how people would get there. But yeah. To some that's. But some people that's, that's how they get there. Yeah. Yeah. We'll also plug there is a ferry stop now. Oh yeah, at uh, Veterans Memorial Pier. Yeah, yes. And they I were trying we to make one. Sat there the other day, right? We did. It's right at the base of Bay Ridge. Of or oh, a little head. south of right. Bay Ridge. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. They had really cool picnic tables there. Yeah, like very wide <laughs> and kind of like curved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot so, of birds. Yeah. Oh. I, at least that's what I remember. A lot yeah. Of yeah. Oh, there were there were kids feeding the pigeons, which always. always bothers me when I see people feeding the pigeons. But so something that's been re a really interesting quirk of this week, and I will already preface it by saying I'm I'm pretty well out of my depth with with explaining why. Uh -huh. uh, but this particular week, there have been scores and scores of Hasidic families out along the coast. Mm -hmm. And I think it might have to do with holidays. It is. Uh, for uh, Sukkah. Sukkot. Uh, Sukkot. Again, out of my depth. But well, Suk I believe Sukkah is the name of, of the, the structure. Hut, yeah. And yes. Sukkot is the name of the holiday. Yes. yes. So, uh, starting on Tuesday when I was by myself, 
but it's happened most every day, sometime around after three o'clock or so. And I don't know if that has something to do with there are activities that take up the earlier hours this week, but there have been people in uh, families enjoying the park, uh, thousands upon thousands of people to the point where I really don't think I've seen as many Hasidic Jews cumulatively as I had on like Tuesday or Thursday of this week. And uh, it was it was really impressive and, and cool to see these spaces being used in, in such a way, you know? Yeah, I remember when I was working at BBP when this would happen and being like, oh my God, it's, it's like Hasid, like, week that's yeah. like this, but it's only i mean it's not like they are never here but like this week in particular it's like it's like a festival yeah but, uh yeah it's definitely because of suka but also uh or suko Su- now nah, you got me confused <laughs> uh but uh i think that i at least my understanding as a very very vague jew yeah is that most of the morning is taken up with prayer and there's a certain window of time before sundown to like have a little bit of recreation but you're not supposed to be using electronics or Mm. anything if possible uh also it's like building the hut uh ideally you're collecting you're collecting branches and things from from park spaces so I don't know that they're like foraging and like stealing things but there's like if you can find some pieces of yeah like stuff. some flowers I've been or seeing some, a lot of yeah. palm branches in plastic or yeah, something yeah. similar yeah. That, that people are purchasing yeah uh, it's yeah. typically purchased like I, I don't think people are coming and like just looking for branches but yeah I, I haven't noticed anyone doing that but that's my own I guess that's my story I'm telling myself yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, it makes sense. I we kind of assumed that it was maybe the morning was time for prayer, so it's yeah. I guess we're all in agreement and on I was, that. But then yeah. it, it also is like the whole holiday is about recreating the time that was spent being nomadic. Right. So in, there's a wanderingness. Yeah, and so it's like the the sukkah, the hut, is meant to represent like the the sort of flimsy structure that people would have been living in, and then all of that out like being outside and being in nature so it kind of makes sense that you would go to if you're living in the city yeah this is like the most nature that you can get to easily yeah i'll also just one uh added piece i think is that between crown heights and williamsburg which are the two primary orthodox neighborhoods Mm -hmm. this park is like equal distance Oh, right. So there's a certain draw, especially if you've got family on either, like, that they can meet here. Yeah. Uh, collective. Oh, that makes spending, sense. Spending yeah. time and yeah. being in the space. So I think that also geographically is why maybe you guys, like, you know, you could go to any park. They could have gone to a park in their neighborhood or to, like, Prospect Park. Yeah. I don't think the same thing happens in Prospect Park. Well, we've been seeing like really along the coast it's like we saw a bunch of hasidic people in owl's head in sunset park in brooklyn bridge park that's cool um the sunset park in owl's head i was a little surprised by but maybe there i mean there's probably communities there or they're just like nice parks yeah i mean there's i guess there is more there are more communities than i'm acknowledging uh 
in southern Brooklyn. Yeah. I just don't know them as well. Yeah. The uh, you, it's interesting when you're talking about the use of electronics and and I guess the real litigation that goes on with which as technology advances, what's considered appropriate or not to use. Yeah. And mm. uh, the hoverboards are like very popular with the kids. In the Hasidic community? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, they, I, I yeah. wonder what like, the, uh, there was almost certainly a conversation that happened with like leaders to decide whether or not that was okay. You oh, know? like if that counts as an electronic? Or yeah, yeah. If, uh, if, mm. And I wonder. You yeah. Know. And, yeah, it seems like a, definitely a certain type of gray area. I, I guess my thought about the electronic thing also is that I remember specifically when this time of year happened, there would be an inundation of calls to the park asking if certain things were open, where certain things were, that I'm like, you can just Google search it. Oh, Don't yeah. you know? And they won't do that. Right. They can't do that. Right. But they can make calls. Yeah. But I think it was only ever the men. It was okay. like a very, there's certain limitations. Yeah. It might even be from like a house phone or, you know, like right, not from right. this, like, or I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that the, those, there is a logic. I don't always know what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, endlessly fascinating to me all like when I think just because I don't belong to a community per se. I mean, in some ways there's like, typical etiquette that's expected of me by certain people but it's ultimately up to me whether or not I'm gonna do that or not you know and then those people will either be my friends or not yeah right but I've never belonged to a community really where there's very clear ways of living like day to day for me and so it's it really is just like it's really interesting and yeah, I'm just kind of endlessly wondering how that all works. Yeah, I've been asked if I'm Jewish like, I don't know, eight or 10 times this week. And I really want to be like, yes, because I, I was like, what's next? You know, I mean, yeah. we did a little bit of reading on it. And, you know, I understand it's like, a, you know, saying prayers with people and being offered the opportunity to participate in traditions and like have a community thing. And also it seems like, you know, they gain some spiritual points or possibly community points as well. But yeah, well, it's, uh, a, it's, a, it's kind of an indoctrination technique, or yeah. like bringing people back into the fold that have fallen mm. out, fallen wayward. Uh, oh. not, I mean, it's not that judgmental. No, just like, yeah. that's but like kind a of welcoming. Incentive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's funny, that's that's happened to me a couple times as sure. well. And yeah, what do you say? I deny it usually oh. which I feel bad because I know that's not as a as a Jew I should but I don't know I don't know Hebrew I don't really want to be prayed with and I don't it's usually men asking me and then I just kind of am turned off by that like mm. I'm right. kind of like Ugh. yeah it was funny once it happened with Emily our friend and uh, she and I both just immediately said no oh because I think it was just like a knee-jerk thing but yeah then, we told her mom and we were like how did they know that we were jewish and she was like it's because you've got long torsos and short legs and i was like what <laughs> so i guess there's like a jewish woman body type that oh, i didn't wow. know that we had or something yeah. which is very funny oh that's um because i mean i but i i'm sure it's also just like 
faces or I've whatever. I've always wondered why I'm never asked. You've got two, your legs, legs are too tall. Your legs are too long. Right. It's I, these short yeah. legs that Emily and I have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think if it were also an, an added thing is if, if I were Jewish and I was asked during my day to day, I would be basically not inclined. But the current circumstances that right. we're just roaming the city, you right. know, yeah. it's like I have time, whatever, let's do yeah. whatever you and want. It's, you know? fast, it's like interesting and fascinating. And like, I, I also would love to be part of it. But like, there's also you don't want to because you don't want to mess up the whole thing. Like, you know, Mike's Catholic and I'm not. And I was whenever I go to church with his family, I can't take communion because I would like mess up the magic because I don't believe the right. same thing. Like I don't That's believe that it's quote, actually blood. No, you'll mess up the magic. <laughs> yeah. Well, You're not allowed. I don't want to do it because I don't want to mess up the magic. Even if I don't believe in the magic, like I still, I still don't want to mess up the magic. Yeah. Right. You don't want to so. take it. And that's part of like, I mean, I guess I feel like I'm, sometimes I feel like I'm messing up the magic or like, you know, if, if, uh, if I am one of God's chosen Jew people <laughs> and I'm denying it to mm. these others that are asking, maybe I'm, I'm forsaking, but I also oh. think it's, it's between me and him yeah. and, uh, you can't, you know, you can't make me one way or another. Yeah. So I thought this, this is a good transition actually. Yeah. I, I just kind of came up with this as we were talking and I don't think that we've missed any guests that this applied to. And if, if we have, I'm sorry. However, I think you may be the first guest we've had so far that has lived in both Los Angeles and New York. Okay. And I thought it might be nice to ask our guests that have uh, had that experience to give some sort of comparison, what they thought about both locations oh. and okay. kind of, uh, you know, because uh, those two cities are the most compared cities, frequently compared. Well, they're the largest country. population cities mm. in the country. Mm -hmm. And they're also, you know, uh, in terms of uh, creation of uh, creative output, mm. uh, too prominent, if if not the most too prominent cities. Yeah, yeah, I guess in our particular industries world, creative wise, yeah. there's a lot of like, am I going to be on the west coast or the east coast? Am I going to be bi-coastal? What am yeah. I going to do? You know. Yeah. yeah. What do, What does that? Yeah. What are those reputations? So I guess a two. So this will be a two-part direction. Wait, I want to understand one question before you go. Of course, yeah. So you're saying you asked people this, but no, none of I, them. No, I don't. This is the first time this question is being asked because okay. I don't think anyone any else guest has, has had this experience. Okay. But I think we will have other people that'll have this experience Probably, at some point. Probably, yeah. So I guess because you're not originally from New York, but if you could tell us about, you know, your original coming here, mm -hmm. and then uh, you know your experiences of LA, and we'll just go from there. Sure. Um, I, I'm, I mean, I came to New, I'm from New England, so I have closer familiarity with New York. Mm -hmm. Came here intermittently when I was a kid, uh, saw a Broadway show, did a summer camp program, other things. And then when I was applying for college, I did apply to some schools in California, but I hadn't been that often. Uh, and 
it was so much farther away. My family definitely was concerned, I think, with the idea of me being so far from home. Um, so when I was accepted to new school, I felt like that was the way to go. And I, I did like the energy of New York, the intensity of the place. So that was part of the draw for me. Um, and I think it was a really fun experience to be here in college. Um, Jesse and I, plenty of memories, pretty, plenty of uh, fun experiences. Um, having New York as your campus as mm -hmm. they pitch it is, <laughs> is uh, cool, but also very different than they pitch it, right? Like it's, it's actually a lot more of a bubble than you realize mm. in certain ways. You're very, it's very self, referential and very like insular in a really interesting way because I think you know like you get exposed to to people from different places and different elements but it's also there's this like gravity to this place that kind of keeps you centered here mm. and uh, to my experience didn't feel like I could really I could I got lost certainly at certain times and in Manhattan and in Brooklyn and different boroughs, like try to try to give myself adventures. But I also felt like there was always the subway. There were always people around. I was guarded and smart enough and I had to build up more of a guard from college here that I think I was by the end of the four years really conscious of the fact that I was somewhat jaded mm. and somewhat avoidant of being as open creatively as I wanted to be, which is part of the reason I left the city. I, think mm. I felt I felt enough awareness of New York as a place that I knew I would have to commit myself to being here for like 10 years to make make enough money, get by, and like live the way I wanted to. It was a moment of economic downturn again, so that was also this like, it's gonna be really hard. Mm. It was gonna be really hard in LA, but I thought like at least in LA I'm starting new, I get to be a new kid <laughs> in a new place, mm -hmm. and the quality of life and the expectations of how you live are different. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I just felt like I, there were, by the end of school, I. You know, everyone goes through a lot, the college experience, but I'd had a lot of transitions with my family and my life overall that I also recognized, like, my surroundings were changing and me staying in the same place was not going to serve me mentally the way that I needed it to. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which is all motivation as to why I came to L.A. And going to L.A. definitely... Ha I think forced me open again in a different way. Uh, it finding finding creative communities, finding audiences. I think anybody after college is like doing that anyway. Mm. Doing it without the same network or without the established relationships that I'd created here was more challenging than I'd expected. And I definitely think I like came into LA with this like glamorous expectation that I somehow would meet and formulate a whole creative community there that would be comparable 
to my experience in New York. And it's just not, that's just not the case, you know. Uh, it's a different, it's a different world. Everybody's spread out. You might have a community, but uh, you also have to have a, a very deep investment in maintaining it. I think you have to do that here as well, but it's, uh, you can also just run into people. Right. Or it's easier for people to meet up mm -hmm. and depending on the, there are people you might not see in LA or you might not collaborate with, but you'll keep, they'll like be in the periphery and ideally one day you'll align, but you won't necessarily have that opportunity for a while. You yeah. Know? Uh, so I guess you, any more specifics about LA I would be happy to share but I just think that um, I spent four years there four years here and again at the end of the four years in LA things in terms of my family and my life I felt like we're coming to a point where I was I don't know if I've just been on a four-year track and this <laughs> is like a loop I come back to so there was this cycle of evaluation after four years um, but it feels like the kind of place I realized that uh, at that point I wasn't I wasn't finding and self-actualizing myself the way that I had hoped I would there I think there were certain things I became better at certain certain moments where I self-actualized and got over a hump but then it's easy to slump back into it. And depending on what's going on, otherwise there's so much other context that can inform your creative practice yeah. and inform the people you're around. And uh, I've heard the analogy about LA, like New York is kind of like a river. We're gonna go water bodies, bodies of water. Uh -huh. sure. uh, New York is kind of a river, you go with the flow, it's constantly moving and shifting and progressing in some mm -hmm. form or another and you can catch it or you can't or you can like jump out of the water and then back in and it'll still, you'll be moving the mm -hmm. whole time. LA is more of like a lake or a pond where okay. you, you get in the water and if you stay in your area, you'll stay with the circumstances you're in and if you really want something, you can get to the other end of the lake or the other end of the pond, but you have to perpetually be swimming yourself, taking yourself on that journey through that. Um, and that, because it's all so spread out and because there's this motivation or this manifest destiny mindset, it's partially that I think that people have to uh, have to constantly continue to recreate and reevaluate and reformulate. Uh, whereas in New York, things evolve and just become something new without much realization until it's already happened, right? Like this right. park just built right. in time, right. new. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's, that's those are my comparisons. There's definitely neighborhoods and places that are geographically, uh, I would compare, like socioeconomically similar. Right. Uh, and I, I've had plenty of people every, I mean, not every time. There are plenty of folks from the Northeast 
that when I tell them I lived in LA or when anyone else from LA is that was that lived in LA talks about it there's so much disdain and resentment and judgment of the place yeah I I don't have that and I refuse to view it that way mm. uh, my house caught on fire before I left LA and my car was stolen like these are these are unfortunate events but I uh, <laughs> I believe it was a really it's a special place and it, I have a deep affection for it I just know that it's ultimately not what has has a cult of, like motivated me and supported me growing yeah. or it did up to a point and I realized that that I'd, pe- I'd reached that point point. Yeah. Mm. and maybe it'll do it again someday but uh, for now I needed to be somewhere else yeah so I think I could infer the answer to this question based on your analogy but if you were to say kind of when you talk about your self-actualization the ratio to which that actualization was internally motivated versus externally motivated, like the actual city itself, you know, doing something to you, Mm. you know. It sounds like that in your experience that the changes that occurred while in L.A. were internally motivated, whereas in in New York they, they might be acting on you just kind of as a day-to-day thing yeah sure i'd say that i think that's part of what's um what's good and difficult for me about new york as well is that like their external motivations or external events that that self-actualize you or motivate you into action uh, but that kind of forces more reactionary Mm. behavior occasionally Mm-hmm. or constantly mm-hmm. uh, so I you know when I was in LA and I was deciding I was coming back to New York I made some decisions in terms of my career path where I was like I've been working in film I don't didn't want to commit to one avenue of the industry and I recognized that I was also working in places and spaces and that I'd been working in that realm and so I wanted to push myself towards parks and push myself towards just like facilities Mm. Uh, and I think that served me well in transitioning back to New York but then once I got into this world I don't think I think that like it's it's taken on more shape and I've just kind of been constantly uh, either catching up or like fighting it (laughs) and I think that's uh, that's not really the one way the way you want to work in a career I don't Mm. think you know Um, so that's part of where like my next my next phase or my next ambition is kind of recognizing all of that and trying to think through what that how I can avoid doing that again, making right. that same mistake the right. same way. Uh, LA's internal choices, yeah, I found I found a theater I liked. I found, I self-actualized, like, getting involved in that space, and I, I sought out different opportunities. And I, I was getting, I did enjoy a lot of the work I did. I just, 
think I had more, because it was so internally driven, I had a lot of in, indecision mm. because it felt like, oh, there's no one telling me what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no uh, opportunity just jumping out at me or opportunity being taken away that's like informing my choices. So you want to find a balance. And I think that that's the part that, uh, that's part of why people like to be bi-coastal, I think, is that there's a certain way you like the idea of being able to balance those internal and external factors. Mm. But it doesn't always work and it is a, a whole other undertaking to actually be a bi-coastal person. Yeah. Uh, financially and otherwise, you know. Yeah. So it's a, I, I'm excited for the, I feel like there's gotta be another place that has creative opportunities or I mean, I know other places have creative opportunities, but has uh, maybe less of these push and pull mm. qualities to it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's in, I mean, I think because LA and New York are just so huge and like set, we know that these creative communities have been here for a really long time yeah. and will be in both of those places for a really long time, regardless of what anybody might be saying about New York right now, which I am like, I get so mad anytime I hear anyone talk about poorly about New York right now. It's yeah. so annoying. But <laughs> yeah. the creative community I mean, I, is yeah. going to be here. Like there's just, yeah. it might not be the people that, you know, lived here in the 90s or early 2000s or something that think they know. It, it changes neighborhoods. It changes form. It changes people. Like, right. I don't know. Anybody that says that like, the, the cool New York is dead is just, they're yeah. old I mean, and, and they're like, like you, maybe you just need to look and open your eyes and find it, you know? Right. Yeah. Or my caveat, I'll just like, yeah, I, I said all of that about LA. I'll say the same thing about New York. Yeah. Not, like, it's not that I don't think this place is creatively fulfilling in no. any way. Uh, it's just about what's right for you. Yeah. At any given point. But it's always going to have that creative energy to it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't think that you were. I know. I, you're not the person I'm talking just about. Telling, There's all these I'm articles just the coming audience. out and stuff. But, yeah. But um. But in terms of, I was mostly thinking that in terms of like, where another place could be. Yeah. And I think it's hard because a lot of other cities, I think, their creative potential isn't set in stone yet like there's these like Austin or Nashville or even like Chicago and like a lot of these places have had creative types of people in them for a while but they're just not quite as like substantial as New York or LA or like mm -hmm. withstanding or I I mean I'm sure people from those areas would argue differently I think oh, that probably. the I think and we I've like had this a bunch of stuff written down about this and I don't think this is where it's going to come out today either but maybe it will one time but I think the maybe the difference between uh, areas like that and like a New Yorker in LA is its greatest strength is its greatest weakness which is just this level of conceitedness that is so extreme where it's like no it'll it it'll never die and if uh, if you're gonna leave see ya you know like there's uh, Mm -hmm. There and if even if it got down to the very bottom of the barrel where it was like dead, 
or even if it was dead for 20 years, eventually it's going to rise again. And then it, the, it's the narrative is self-fulfilling. It's always like, yeah, right. it was right. awful back then and I survived it. And like, right. there's always going to be somebody that's going to tell a story about New York or LA probably that will glorify whatever was considered the dead time. Yeah. So, right. um, but yeah. then, the, you know, the, the consequence of that is that you're constantly having to defend what is a terrible situation sometimes, you know? Yeah. yeah. But I also think, I mean, I think what you're realizing, Nina, because you're not really, I think in your com your uh, comparison between New York and L.A., you're not really saying, like, the city is good or, like, you're not really placing a judgment, which I appreciate. I think you're noticing, like, what it brings out in you and, like, how you interact with it, which I think is what... Um, I think it's just what I mean, like when people are saying, oh, New York is dead, right. maybe it's just that they're not you interested in like interacting with New York anymore. Maybe right. they're not on in the river. Maybe they're like on the riverbanks watching it. Right. Maybe they are in the river and can't see it moving. I don't know. What if <laughs> they're, either, they're either not interested in being in the river anymore yeah. or they're on the riverbank and afraid of jumping back in. Maybe, it, yeah. And that's fine. And that's fine. Either way is okay. I yeah. think it's also... Uh, I was going to just say, like, the climates, it's a funny comparison also, but I guess it also serves the purpose of what I'm saying is, like, mm. a lake or a pond is pretty, like, it's a, it's a state, it's a stagnant body of water. Yeah. L.A. is almost always the same weather. Mm -hmm. New York has constantly shifting seasons. Sure. And those seasons inform the energy and the culture here in a really distinct way. So... So again, that just like comes back to this way that like they're both creative hubs, but because of the environment around them, um, that's that's part of what informs it. You know, like people will do really big things in LA mm -hmm. because they they don't have any other distractions, mm. or because they need to force some change, some kind of shift in themselves or in the people, their audience. Uh, whereas I think in New York, it's a lot of contextualizing what's happening mm. in the world around us and recognizing how to mediate that mm. for audiences. That's kind of, that's another way I might phrase it. But yeah, I think um, New York will always have some, some real distinct self-referential self-absorbedness and so will LA yeah I was gonna say there was like a, an, a short essay I feel like everybody's had to read about pretension okay mm. that was either Ira Glass or uh, Tony Angels in America Tony guy that wrote Angels in America anyway. uh, yeah 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 uh, just about the idea like pretension is not a bad thing Pretension mm. is is the great ambition to to supersede yourself, you know, to mm. pretend the world is different, pretend that life is better than it might be, to to to, amb to have that highfalutin, high-minded thought, mm. and to aim for it, and by doing it, raise yourself up, mm. uh, which I think ties in 
in a certain way to this kind of self-absorption or this sort of like ego mindset. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I generally try to avoid good and bad. Like it's a yeah. hard thing not to. And I certainly feel positive and negative emotions, but I don't want to put that judgment on a place, yeah. especially. Um, well, especially as a placemaker, you, I think you're, you're like in a very particularly uh, unique spot to right. not be putting judgment because you know that you have the capacity to yeah. make it what you want it to be. Yeah, and I guess just to elaborate on placemaking as a concept, uh, you know, it's, you can, I mean, anything can be made into a place or yeah. placemaking. To my mind, what, what I'm talking about or what I'm thinking about when I'm placemaking is, is trying to create memories and associations and relationships to mm. places outside of simply their function. Uh, so like this place, this specific spot, I'll always know I had this moment with you guys here right. or like I'll remember the previous fundraiser that was here that I attended right. or um, any, any other space, you know, pe people are making places or making associations with the places they're embodying and inhabiting always. Uh, I just try to make it more... Uh, formalized and more more of like a business than it is uh, just an ongoing lifestyle right thing. yeah yeah it's it's very Zen in a way like being present too I think has I think especially when it's in terms of making memories and sort of like putting the layer of like this specific place versus like that specific place and like what exactly has happened for me here. Right. right. It, you have to be present and aware yeah. and not just kind of like zooming through. Totally. To actually take the time to make those memories. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know if it's something like every kid does, but I, or if you guys did this as a kid, but like if there were certain corners or like rooms in your house that you like made a story about mm. or had a narrative that you know that has nothing to do with the structure of the building mm. uh, but is like you've imbued it with this sort of meaning that anyone else would not notice you know I think that's like maybe where it all comes from for me do you have yeah. a specific example in mind while, while you're talking about that or just in general um i mean i think i can i can think about like any specific part of my house there's like the the staircase up to the second floor there was like a middle little corner where the staircase curved that like my seven-year-old bottom could fit on perfectly <laughs> uh and i would just kind of perch myself and feel like i was getting the full like upstairs downstairs mm. kind of view of my house and that was like my kind of little corner where I felt like very I had moments of presence and I would just like mm. play with this little I think it was a call box or like old old telephone uh, utility mm -hmm. thing that never went away that like I just would like you know like poke my finger in and like kind of like <laughs> 
hang on and like wonder about uh, that like is ingrained in my mind mm. or like yeah. there was like a part of the basement that was just storage for Christmas decorations and like part of the foundation uh, but it had like a little private word written like it was like we put private up on it I don't yeah. know when it happened but to me it was like it was like that's where there's a ghost that's where somebody got murdered like it's it's very dangerous so like I like to I don't know make those things up or I, I got feelings from them yeah. yeah that I just carried on and and uh, became something to me and I, th I just think it's a funny phenomenon that people can do that. That yeah. like we as, I don't know if every human or every mammal does have mm. that association, but I think as humans, we have a very unique power to be like this, this spot of land, this is like, this is my land or like this place I own and re like recognize has meaning for me. Mm. Um, and the more places you do that, the more empowered you feel. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that I think comes naturally to children more because there's so much that's uncontextualized. Mm. You're still creating so much meaning, but it is a very powerful experience and a thrilling one potentially. Also potentially a scary one, like you could be yeah. traumatically creating those spaces, but to be able to bring that concept to an adult's brain you know, and and empower them to make those spaces again, provide the tools for them to make it is really compelling work, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fun. I think it is again like the going back into a self actualizing mindset of like I've gotta I've gotta take ownership or make an association, find an experience here, uh, that makes it I don't know, makes it more fulfilling. Yeah. Well, as you've said, I, I feel like we've made a moment of this space. And I think that might be a good capstone for yeah. this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this was Thanks a great for chat. Me. Yeah. It was a fun time. Yeah. And uh, excited to keep walking on. Yeah, 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 we'll just keep heading south. Yeah. Uh, as for everybody else on the other side of that lens, thank you for watching, listening. We do this every Tuesday so far. We haven't broken that promise yet, but uh, please like, share, do all that stuff. Keep on this journey with us. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.